Crime Wave at Blandings, Two. Alone at last, Lord Emsworth took up his whiffle on the care of pigs, in the hope that it might, as had happened before, bring calm to the troubled spirit. It did, and he was absorbed in it, when the door opened once more. His niece Jane stood on the threshold. Lord Ensworth's niece Jane was the third prettiest girl in Shropshire. In her general appearance she resembled a dewy rose, and it might have been thought that Lord Ensworth, who yielded to none in his appreciation of roses, would have felt his heart leap up at the sight of her. This was not the case. His heart did leap, but not up. He was a man with certain definite views about roses. He preferred them without qu quite such a tight lip and determined chin, and he did not like them to look at him as if he were something slimy and horrible which they had found under a flat stone. The wretched man was now fully conscious of his position. Under the magic spell of Whiffle, he had been able to thrust from his mind for a while the thought that Jane was going to say when she heard the bad news, but now, as she started to advance slowly into the room in that sinister, purposeful way characteristics of so many of his female relations, he realized what he was in for, and his soul shrank into itself like a salted snail. Jane, he could not but remember, was the daughter of his sister Charlotte, and many good judges considered Lady Charlotte a tougher egg even than Lady Constance, or her younger sister, Lady Julia. He still quivered at some of the things Charlotte had said to him in her time, and eyeing Jane apprehensively, he saw no reason for supposing that she had not inherited quite a good deal of maternal fire. The girl came straight to the point. Her mother, Lord Innsworth, recalled, had always done the same. I should like an explanation, Uncle Clarence. Lord Innsworth cleared his throat unhappily. <clears throat> explanation, my dear. Explanation was what I said. Oh, explanation. Ah, yes. Uh, what about? You know jolly well what about. That agent job, Aunt Constance says you've changed your mind, have you? Er, uh, ah, well, have you? Uh, well, er, uh, have you? Well, er, uh, ah, uh, yes. Worm, said Jane. Miserable, crawling, cringing, gelatin, backboned worm. Lord Innsworth, though he had been expecting something along these lines, quivered as if he had been harpooned. "'That,' he said, attempting a dignity which he was far from feeling, "'is not a very nice thing to say. "'If you only knew the things I would like to say, I am holding myself in. "'So you've changed your mind, have you? "'Ha! Does the sacred promise mean nothing to you, Uncle Clarence? "'Does a girl's whole life's happiness mean nothing to you? "'I never would have believed that you could have been such a blighter.' "'I'm not a blighter.' Yes, you are. You're a life blighter. You're trying to blight my life. Well, you aren't going to do it. Whatever happens, I mean to marry George. Lord Innsworth was genuinely surprised. Marry George? But Connie told me you're in love with this fellow you met at Devonshire. His name is George Abercrombie. Oh, ah, 
said Lord Innsworth, enlightened. Bless my soul, I thought you meant my grandson, George, and it puzzled me. Because you couldn't marry him, of course. He's your brother or cousin or something. Besides, he's too young for you. What would George be, ten, eleven? He broke off. A reproachful look had hit him like a shell. Uncle Clarence, my dear, is this a time for driveling? Well, is it? Look at your heart and ask yourself. Here I am, with everybody spitting on your hands and dashing about trying to ruin my life's whole happiness, and instead of being kind and understanding with sympathetic, you start talking rot about young George. I was only saying. I heard what you were saying, and it made me sick. You really must be the most callous man that ever lived. I can't understand you, of all people, behaving like this, Uncle Clarence. I always thought you were fond of me. I am fond of you. It doesn't look like it, flinging yourself into this foul conspiracy to wreck my life. Lord Innsworth remembered a good one. I have your best interests at heart, my dear. It did not go very well. A distinct sheet of flame shot from the girl's eyes. What do you mean, my best interests? The way Aunt Constance talks, the way you are backing her up. Any one would think that George was someone in a straw hat and a scarlet cummerbund that I picked up on the pier at Blackpool. The Abercrombies are one of the oldest families in Devonshire. They date back to the conquest, and they practically ran the Crusades. When your ancestors were staying at home on the plea of war, work of national importance, and wangling jobs at the base, the Abercrombies were out fighting the painting. I was at school with a boy named Abercrombie," said Lord Innsworth musingly. "I hope he kicked you. No, no, I don't mean that. I'm sorry. The one thing I'm trying to do is to keep this little talk free of, what's the word? Lord Innsworth said he did not know. Acrimony. I want to be calm and cool and sensible. Honestly, Uncle Clarence, you would love George. You'd be a sap if you didn't. He's the most wonderful man on earth. He got into the last eight at Wimbledon this year. Did he indeed? Last eight? What? And there isn't anything he doesn't know about running an estate. The very first thing he said when he came into the park was that a lot of the timber wanted seeing too badly. Blast his impertinence! Said Lord Innsworth warmly. My timber is in excellent condition. Not if George says it isn't. George knows timber. So do I know timber. Not so well as George does. But never mind about that. Let's get back to this loathsome plot to ruin my life's whole happiness. Why can't you be a sport, Uncle Clarence, and stand up for me? Can't you understand that this means to me? Weren't you ever in love? Certainly, I was in love dozens of times. I'll tell you a very funny story. I don't want to hear a funny story. No, no, quite exactly. All I want is to hear you saying that you will give George Mister Simmons' job so that we can get married. But your aunt seems to feel so strongly. I know that she feels strongly. She wants me to marry that Rogate. Does she? Yes, and I'm not going to. You can't tell her from me that I wouldn't marry Bertie Rogate if he were the only man in the world.
There's a song to that name, said Lord Ensworth, interested. They sang it during the war. No, it wasn't man. It was girl. If you were the only... How did it go? Ah, yes. If you were the only girl in the world and I was the only boy. Uncle Clarence! Uh, my dear? Please don't sing. You're not in the tap room of the Emsworth Arms now. I have never been in the taps room of the Emsworth Arms. Or at a smoking concert, really. You seem to have the most extraordinary idea of the most attitude that's fitting when you're talking to a girl whose life happiness everybody is sprinting about trying to ruin. First you talk about that young George, then you start trying to tell funny stories, and now you're singing comic songs. It wasn't a comic song. It was the way you sang it. Well, huh? Have you decided what you're going to do about this? About what? The girl was silent for a moment, during which moment she looked so like her mother that the Lord Innsworth shuddered. Uncle Clarence, she said in a low, trembling voice, you are not going to pretend that you don't know what we've been talking about all this time. Are you or are you not going to give George that job? Well, 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 we can't stay here forever saying well at one another. Are you or are you not? My dear, I don't see how I can. Your aunt seems to feel so very strongly. He spoke mumbling, avoiding his companion's eyes, and he had paused, searching for the words, when from the drive outside there arose a sudden babble of noise. Raised voices were proceeded from the great open space. He recognized his sister Constance, penetrating soprano, and mingling with it his grandson George's troubled coo. Competing with both, there came the throaty baritone of Rupert Baxter. Delighted with the opportunity of changing the subject, he hurried to the window. Bless my soul! What's all that? The battle, whatever it may have been, about apparently rolled away in some unknown direction for he could see nothing from the window but Rupert Baxter, who was smoking a cigar in what seemed a rather overwrought manner. He turned back, and with infinite relief, discovered that he was alone. His niece had disappeared. He took up Whiffle on the care of pigs, and had just started to savor once more the perfect prose of that chapter about swill and bran mash when the door opened. Jane was back. She stood on the threshold, eyeing her uncle coldly. Reading, Uncle Clarence? Eh? Oh, oh, yes. I was just glancing at Whiffle on the care of pigs. So you actually have the heart to read at a time like this? Well? Well? Do you ever read Western novels, Uncle Clarence? Eh, uh, Western novels? No. No, never. I'm sorry. I was reading Run the other day, and I hoped you might be able to explain something that puzzled me, what one cowboy said to the other cowboy. Oh, yes? This cowboy, the first cowboy, said to the other cowboy, the second cowboy, Gold darn ye, Hank Spevies, for a sneaking, ornery, low-down, double-crossing, horn-swoggling skunk. Can you tell me what a sneaky, ornery, low-down, double-crossing, horn-swoggling skunk is, Uncle Clarence? I'm afraid I can't, my dear. I thought you might know. No. Oh. 
She passed from the room, and Lord Innsworth resumed his whiffle. But it was not long before the volume was resting on his knee while he stared before him with a somber gaze. He was reviewing the recent scene and wishing that he had come better out of it. He was a vague man, but not so vague as to be aware that he might have shown up in a more heroic light. How long he sat brooding, he could not have said. Some little time, undoubtedly, for the shadows on the terrace had, he observed, as he glanced out of the window, lengthened. Quite a good deal, since he had seen them last, he was about to rise and seek consolation from a ramble along the flowers in the garden below. When the door opened, it seemed to Lord Emsworth, who was now feeling a little morbid, that the blasted door had never stopped opening since he had come into the library to be alone, and Beach, the butler, entered. He was carrying an air gun in one hand and in the other a silver salve with the box of ammunition on it. What's all that? It is an air gun, my lord. I can see that, dash it. What are you bringing it in here for? Her ladyship instructed me to convey it to your lordship. I gather for safekeeping, my lord, the weapon was until recently the property of Master George. Why the deuce are you taking this air gun away from a poor boy? demanded Lord Innsworth haughtily. Ever since the lad had called Rupert a snob, he had been feeling a strong affection for his grandson. "'Her ladyship did not confide it me on the point, my lord. "'I was merely instructed to convey the weapon to your lordship.' "'At that moment Lady Constance came sailing in to throw light on the matter. "'Ah, I see Beach has brought it to you. "'I want you to lock that gun up somewhere, Clarence. "'George is not to be allowed to have it any more. "'Why not?' "'Because he is not to be trusted with it. "'Do you know what happened?' He shot Mr. Baxter. What? Yes, out in the drive just now. I noticed that the boy's manner was sullen when I introduced him to Mr. Baxter and said that he was going to be his tutor. He disappeared into the shrubbery, and just now, as Mr. Baxter was standing on the drive, George shot him from behind a bush. Good, cried Lord Innsworth, then prudently added the word gracious. There was a pause. Lord Innsworth took up the gun and handled it curiously. Bang, he said, pointing it at a bust of Aristotle, which stood on the bracket by the bookshelves. Please don't wave that thing about like that, Clarence. It may be loaded. Not if George has just shot Baxter with it, no, said Lord Innsworth, pulling the trigger. It's not loaded, he mused a while. An odd nostalgic feeling was creeping over him. Far-off memories of his hot boyhood had begun to stir within him. "'Bless my soul,' he said. "'I haven't had one of these things in my hand since I was a child. Did you ever have one of these, Beach?' Uh, "'Yes, my lord, when a small lad.' "'Bless my soul. I remember my sister Julia borrowing mine to shoot her governess.' You remember Julia shot the governess, Connie? Don't be absurd, Clarence. It's not absurd. She did shoot her. Fortunately, women wore bustles in those days, bounced right off. Don't you remember Julia shooting the governess, Beach? 
the incident would no doubt have occurred before my arrival at the castle, my lord. That will do, Beach, said Lady Constance. I do wish, Clarence, she continued to the door closed, that you would not say that sort of thing in front of Beach. Julia did shoot the governors. If she did, there is no need to make your butler confident. Now that was the governess's name. I have an idea it began with... Never mind what her name was and what it began with. Tell me about Jane. I saw her coming about the library. Had you been speaking to her? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I spoke to her. I hope you were firm. Oh, very firm. I said, Jane. But listen, Connie... "'Aren't you being a little hard on the girl? "'One doesn't want to ruin her whole life's happiness, dash it.' "'I know she would get around you, "'but you are not to give her an inch. "'But this fellow seems to be a most suitable fellow, "'one of the Abercrombies and all that. "'Did well in the Crusades. "'I'm not going to have my niece throwing herself away on a man without a penny. "'She isn't going to marry Rogate, you know. "'Nothing will induce her.' She said she wouldn't marry Rogate if she were the only girl and he were the only boy in the world. I don't care what she said, and I don't want to discuss the matter any longer. I am now going to send George in for you to give him a good talking to. I haven't time. You have time. I haven't. I'm going to look at my flowers. You are not. You are going to talk to George, and I want you to make him see quite clearly what a wicked thing he has done. Mr. Baxter was furious. It all comes back to me, cried Lord Ainsworth. Mapleton, what are you talking about? Her name was Mapleton, Julia's governess. Do stop about Julia's governess. Will you talk to George? Oh, all right, all right. Good. I'll go and send him to you. And presently George entered, for a boy who had just stained the astuchens of a proud family by shooting tutors with air guns and seemed remarkably cheerful. His manner was that of one getting together with an old crony for a cosy chat. Hello, Grandpa, he said breezily. Hello, my boy, replied Lord Emsworth with equal affability. Aunt Connie said you wanted to see me. Eh? Huh? Ah? Oh, yes. Lord Ensworth pulled himself together. Yes, that's right. Yes, uh, to be sure, certainly. I want to see you. What's all this, my boy? Uh, uh, what? What's all this? What's all what, Grandpa? Shooting people and all that sort of thing. Shooting Baxter and all that sort of thing. Mustn't do that, you know. Can't have it. That's very wrong, uh, very dangerous to shoot a people with a dashed great gun. Don't you know what, eh? Must put someone's eye out, dash it. Oh, I couldn't have hit him in the eye, Grandpa. His back was turned and he was bending over, trying his shoelace. Lord Innsworth started. What? Did you get Baxter in the seat of the trousers? Yes, Grandpa. Ha, 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 I mean, uh, disgraceful. I, uh... I expected he jumped. Oh, yes, Grandpa. He jumped like Billio. Did he indeed? How this reminds me of Julia's governess. Your Aunt Julia once shot her governess under precisely similar conditions. She was trying her shoelaces. 
coo. Did she jump? She certainly did, my boy. Ha 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 ha. Ah, uh, well, just so, Lord Ensworth, a belated doubt assailing him as to whether he, it was quite the tone he should have. Well, George, I shall, of course, impound this uh, instrument. Right ho, Grandpa, said George, with an easy ambility of a boy conscious of having two catapults in his drawer upstairs. Can't have you going about the place shooting people. Okay, Chief. Lord Innsworth fondled the gun. The nostalgic feeling was growing. Do you know, young man, I used to have one of these things when I was a boy. Coo! Were guns invented then? Yes, I had one when I was your age. Ever hit anything, Grandpa? Certainly I did. I hit all sorts of things, rats and things, and I had a very accurate aim. But now I wouldn't even know how to load the dash thing. This is how you load it, Grandpa. You open it like this and shove the slug in here and snap it together again like that, and there you are. Indeed, really. I see. Yes, yes, of course. I remember now. You can't kill anything much with it, said George, with a wistfulness which betrayed an aspiration to higher things. Still, it's awfully useful for tickling up cows. And Baxter? Yes. Ha ha. Ha ha. Once more, Lord Innsworth forced himself to concentrate on the right tone. We mustn't laugh about it, my boy. It's no joking matter. It's uh, very wrong to shoot Mr. Baxter. But he's... he's so smug. He is smug, agreed Lord Emsworth. Always fair-minded. Nevertheless, remember, he is your tutor. Well, I don't see why I've got to have a tutor right in the middle of the summer holidays. I sweat like the dickens all through the term at school, said George, his voice vibrating with self-pity. And then, plum spring, the middle of the holidays, they slosh a tutor on me. I call it a bit thick. Lord Innsworth might have told the little fellow that thicker things than that were going on in Blanding's castle, but he refrained. He dismissed him with a kindly, sympathetic smile. <laughs> <laughs>